on the mount at lightning speed, right? We've been in this since the beginning of February, and today we will finish chapter five. Uh, now we're coming to the end of this little mini-series uh, within the Sermon on the Mount called Righteousness Requires Reconciled Relationships. Uh, the title of the message today is Love is the Great Reconciler. Remember, Jesus told us uh, back in verse 20 that to enter the kingdom of heaven, our righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. By that, Jesus means not the amount of righteousness, but the kind of righteousness. And Jesus did not leave us hanging in the wind here either. He tells us exactly what that looks like when we have been transformed into kingdom people. Uh, and when we've had that uh, internal righteousness given to us by our Savior, Jesus Christ. And the examples Jesus gives us deals with our relationships, whether they're friend or enemy, uh, which is why this little mini-series has the title, Righteousness Requires Reconciled Relationships, because an unreconciled relationship is very unkingdom of you. Jesus seems to expect you to to proactively seek to, to repair any relationship you have that needs fixing, whether it's your fault or not. He tells us at the beginning of this that hate is murder. And in that section, he says that reconciliation is the prerequisite to proper worship. He then tells us that lust is adultery and that all our relationships must be pure, and that the marriage relationship is sacred. After that, he announces our righteousness must be characterized by honesty and integrity. If you say it, you do it. If you say you won't, then you don't. Keeping our word, even if it hurts us to do so, Last week, we discussed the needs to, 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 to hold our rights rather loosely, uh, to be generous to others, to, to trust him with our reputation by taking the hits to our pride and our integrity and, 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 and not defending ourselves when slighted or insulted and to go above and beyond in our kindness to others. This morning, he presents us with uh, what may indeed be one of the greatest challenges we're going to face. It's also kind of the summary of how our righteousness is to exceed in kind the righteousness of the Pharisees. See, Jesus has a radically different view and radically different expectation of those who follow him on, 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 on how to live well. If we really want to act like and walk like and talk like and be like Jesus, then we've got to follow his lead on what it means to be a follower of Christ. 
Jesus has taught so far that the kingdom of God has come and he's displayed his power, the power of the kingdom, through the miracles he's performed up to this point. Jesus has taught that the gospel transforms the life that people live when they live within the kingdom. And Jesus has taught that, that, that blessedness, remember at the beginning, blessed are those, all that blessedness is rooted in a gospel-centered identity. You know, people often say that they're blessed, and what they really mean is that they're, they're just fortunate, or they're just lucky, right? But Jesus is teaching about a blessedness that is produced by God taking hold of our lives and transforming them by his, by his word. Jesus has taught that the transformed, the transformed life leads, leads to a life of righteousness and that that righteously lived life is more profound and impactful than the righteousness that the scribes and the Pharisees exhibited. You remember the scribes and Pharisees, they, they were intimidating by, by their righteous practice, Right? I mean, the people were thinking, how in the world can my righteousness beat theirs? They did everything right. On the outside, they did. But Jesus teaches that true righteousness will produce a people that are meek, that are generous, that are loving, who are changed on the inside, and that change works itself out in their life. Now, if you've made it to Matthew chapter 5, I want you to find verse 43. Let's read down to the end of the chapter. Verse 43 says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward have ye? Do not even the publicans the same? And if ye salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? Do not even the publicans so? Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. In verse 43, what we see is, is, is love misinterpreted. It says, again, you've heard that it hath been said. You've been taught before by your teachers that you love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. Right? That's what they had been taught. The story goes of a reporter who was interviewing an old man on his 100th birthday. Uh, what are you most proud of, this reporter asked. Well, said the man at 100 years old, he says, I don't have an enemy in the world. What a beautiful thought. How, how inspirational a thought that is, the reporter said. Well, Yep, said the centenarian. I've outlived every last one of them. Now, that is not kingdom 
thinking, all right? In the book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, it's recorded that the Jews were filled with a bitter hatred of all other people. They did not give kindness or even help to heathens. Uh, it says that the Gentiles should, as far as possible, be altogether avoided, except for case of necessity or for the sake of business. It says that you could not leave the room if a Gentile was in there, because that Gentile might carelessly or purposefully defile the wine or the food on the table or the oil or the wheat in the cupboard. That was kind of their attitude to us Gentiles. Leviticus 19.18 says, um, Love thy neighbor as thyself. And Israel made two fatal mistakes in interpreting this particular law. First, they said that the neighbor meant only the people of their own community or their own religion or their own nation, just those real close to them. They did not include anybody else. In fact, they shut out. They cut out anybody else. That's why when the lawyer asks Jesus, who is my neighbor, he gives them the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, they, were, they were much too strict in their definition of neighbor. And secondly, they inferred that if they were to uh, love their neighbor, then they had to hate their enemy. See, God says, love your neighbor, therefore they just reasoned and they added in, well, if I love my neighbor, then I should hate my enemy. People believe that the natural implication of this law was that, well, if I love one, I have to hate the other. The teachers of the law had created really a false dichotomy because hating your enemy is not a logical necessity for loving your neighbor. Uh, they suppose that if they loved one, that of course they have to hate the other. They were total strangers to, to the law of God that required them to love both friend and enemy. It's no wonder that the Romans, the Romans charged the Jews with hatred of the human race because they hated everybody that wasn't them. That's not what the law of God taught, but that is how it had been misinterpreted. That's why Jesus says, you've heard that it's been said. Now, he, he didn't say that's, that's what should be said. He says, this is what you've been taught. You love your neighbor and you hate your enemy. Okay, that, is, that is false teaching. But look at verse 44. We have, we have this, this command of love expounded for us here. But I say unto you, love your enemy, Bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. This does not sound like hate to me. Adam Clark, an old commentary, says this about love your enemies. He says, this is the most sublime piece of morality ever given to man. It has appeared unreasonable and absurd to some, it is natural to man to avenge himself and to plague those who plague him. And he will, he will ever find abundant excuses for his conduct in the repeated evils he receives from others. For men are naturally hostile to others. Barnes notes says this. 
we are bound to love our enemies. This is the law of Christianity, original and unique. No system of religion but Christianity has required it, and no act of Christian virtue is more difficult. None shows more the power of the grace of God. None is more ornamental to the character. None more like God. And none furnishes better the evidence of godliness. He that can meet a man kindly, who is seeking his hurt, who can speak well of one that is perpetually slandering and cursing him, that can pray for a man that abuses and injures and wounds him, and that can seek heaven for him that wishes his damnation, is on the way to life. None but God could have imposed a yoke so contrary, he says, to self-love. And nothing but, but supreme eternal love can enable men to practice a precept so insupportable to corrupt nature. You know, the full law, the full verse of, of, of Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18 says this, Thou shalt not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of thy people, but thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I am the Lord. A loving your enemy means choosing to let our love override our feelings of distrust, of anger, of, of, of bitterness, of disdain for them. Loving our enemies is a big part of what it means to, to act like and walk like and talk like and be like Jesus. Christian love goes beyond our narrow circles to include people that no one else would ever think about including. It means helping those no one else would, 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 would consider trying to help. In this verse, 44, Jesus shows us that, that, that a person can be our enemy in three, three different ways here. First, in his heart because he has hatred for us. Secondly, in his words, by, by the cursing, and, 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 and that means I mean, using dreadful curses against us. And thirdly, he can be an enemy by his actions, the, the continual harassing and the continual abusing of us. And he shows us how we are to behave towards those who would be our enemy. The hatred of the first, we are to meet with love. The cursings or evil words of the second, we are to meet with good words and blessings. The, repeated, the repeating damage that the other, the third one, tries to enact on us. We're to meet with continual prayer for this person's salvation. He says, bless them that curse you. Give them good words when they give you bad words. Do good to them that hate you. Give your enemy every evidence 
that you don't hate them back, but not just that, but that you love them. Give them every evidence that you love them. Because we're not to love just in tongue, right? Because talk is cheap. We know that. Talk means virtually nothing today. But you're to love in deed and in truth. We love our enemies by praying for them. We pray for those who who persecute us. And there's three things in particular that need to be prayed about here. First of all, for God to forgive your persecutor. You pray also for peace between yourself and the persecutor. But then you also pray for that persecutor's salvation. Now, we may want to pray the imprecatory psalm of God upon, you know, that, that, that's a judgment of God. We may want to just pray that God wipe them out, send fire from heaven, destroy them. That, that's how David prayed. But we have to remember we're not David. We're not, uh, we're not a king praying for the preservation of a nation. So, so we need to take that down a notch or two. The moment you begin to pray for your enemy and pray for them the right way, you can no longer treat them the way you otherwise would because it makes you active in your relationship. It doesn't make you defensive. It makes you proactive. Praying for your enemies makes you conscious that they are not near as intimidating or as in control as they think they are or you thought they were. We have to remind ourselves that it is God that is in control. So we are to pray that God would intervene in their lives that are so impoverished and full of hatred and full of anger. We begin to see them in a whole different light. and We even begin to pity their situation because, because they, they don't understand the nature of their situation. They don't understand how impoverished they are. They don't understand what hatred does to them. They don't understand how separated from God they are. Our enemies will come to realize that they are um, not as big. They'll come to realize that we're not quite as small. We focus more on the needs of our enemies and less on our own weakness when we begin to pray for them correctly. You pray for them which despitefully use you. That comes from two Greek words that refers to to Mars, the, the, the mythological, the heathen god of war means that we're to pray for those who are continually making war against you. They've singled you out as their personal project. And they are determined to do everything within their power to make you completely miserable. They will constantly harass you. They will falsely accuse you. See, this is, this is Batman's Joker. This is Superman's Lex Luthor. Always just peck, 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 peck. Anything they can do to make your life miserable. They have declared war on you. You pray for them 
that's another wonderfully reasonable concept because you can't change that wicked person's heart and as long as it's unchanged they will continue to harass you so so we we understand that God alone can change this person that means then that if I'm going to pray for this person that has declared war on me, I must plead with God that he do really what only he can do, and that is to change that poor person's heart, to bring them to salvation, and, and that will also result in us being at peace. But not just those that uh, despitefully use you, but those that persecute you. Those who press on and, 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 and pursue you with hatred and malice, accompanied by that repeated animosity, they just never let up. And our nature, our, 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 our sinful nature says, I must destroy them. Our Savior says, take the hit. Just love them. Can you, can you get any more opposite than that? We're called to love our enemies in such a way that we prove and we point to the love of our Savior. We're, we're saved, right? We've trusted Jesus to save us. Uh, Holy Spirit, fruit of the Spirit. First one is what? There you go. You cannot be saved and honestly say, I cannot love that person. If you can honestly say, I cannot love that person, you are saying, I do not have the indwelling Holy Spirit in me to love them. You're admitting being lost. God says to love your enemy. God gives you a command. Built into that command is the presupposition of your ability to obey that command. Now let's look at verse 45. This is, this is love that's properly motivated. It says that, because of what's just happened up in verse 44, that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. The incentive to love everyone as a true neighbor, as, 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 as Jesus says to love them, is, is threefold here. Okay? First of all, it uh, proves that we're a child of God. Uh, the love, this kind of love, is, is, is unmistakable proof that somebody really knows and really loves God. A true believer, as we've said, cannot hate another person. If someone says that he loves God and hates another person, whether it's a friend or an enemy, that person needs to search their heart because God has said that person is a liar. The second thing it does, love makes a person like God as much as a person can reflect the character of God. God loves his enemies he causes the sun to shine and the rain to fall, whether they're an enemy or a friend. Okay, whether they hate him or they love him, they get the same sun we do and they get the same rain we do. God blesses both his friends and his enemies. So as a Christian, 
I am to be just like God in this respect. When, when I am loving my enemies and praying for those who persecute me, I am being more like God at that time than any other time in my life. So it proves that we are children of God. Uh, love makes us like God. And thirdly, love makes a person uh, distinctive from other people. As believers, we have to go above and beyond. We have to do more than lost people. See, everyone loves his friends. Okay, we'll get to that here in verse 46 and 47. So, so, so doing more and going beyond means that we also have to love not just our friends, but our enemies as well. Jesus teaches why we're to love our enemies. You love your enemies, you pray for those that persecute you, so that you may be the sons uh, of your Father which is in heaven. Jesus is setting up the implications of what it means, what it is to be children of the Heavenly Father. It says, for he maketh the sun to rise on the, on, on, on the just and the unjust. He sends rain on both of them, okay? Jesus is showing us that, that, that we are children of a generous and loving Heavenly Father. God is generous and God is loving. How do we know? Because he sends sun and he sends rain on people that hate him. People that would do everything within their power, if they could, to destroy God. Of course, you can't do that, but they hate God. Sun still rises on their morning. And when they need the rain, the rain still falls. God is generous enough to bless his enemies. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the motive to love our enemies. You know, the Queen of England once said, royal children, royal manners, right? So we're to show that we are, that we are God's children. We can ask the Lord to help us be like him with respect to our enemies. We will begin to see our enemies as desperately needy people. And if we see ourselves as royal children of our Heavenly Father who share in his wonderful generosity, we will become more generous to others. We, we can afford to be generous to our enemies in such a way that our generosity to them disarms them. See, in 46 and 47, it says, what do you more than others? That's a good question. God expects us to live on a much higher plane, a much higher level than lost people of the world who return good for good and evil for evil. As Christians, we are to return good for evil as an investment. Now look at verse 46 and 47. We've alluded to it a little bit already. It says, for if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans the same. And if you salute your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the publicans so. So we should love God, love our brothers and sisters, love one another, love our neighbors, love our spouses. But when we love our enemy, we are doing what God the Father has done for us. You remember Romans chapter 5 and verse 10 says, For if when we were enemies 
We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. You were God's enemy, and yet God loved you. He blessed you. When we love our enemy, we show that we possess the spirit of God who loves without distinction. He sends the sunshine on them both. We can only do this because of the work of God, the Holy Spirit in us. The only way we're capable of loving our enemy is because we are really shedding abroad God's love that he has for us, through us, to our enemy. We do this because of the work that God has done in us. The goal is to, is to love to such an extent that, that we love even those who want to destroy us. So we can do more than others. First of all, these publicans, they, they love their friends. You know, anybody can love somebody nice to you. You can always be nice to somebody that's nice to you. That's easy. Do good to them who do good to us. Any lost sinner can pull that off. Come on, any, any, any two-year-old can share a toy that's been shared with them. All right? That's, that's a piece of cake. But secondly, we must then love our enemies so that we can exceed them. And, and, and if we must go beyond the scribes and the Pharisees, remember our righteousness has to exceed them. If we're going to go beyond them, we have to go much more beyond the publicans and the sinners. We have to live out this higher calling of love. See, verse 46 says, if you love them which love you, what reward have you? All right. In loving those who love you, Right? In loving those who love you, there is no evidence of any superior work of God in you. Let that sink in. Loving those who love you, anybody can do that. The worst of people can do that. The vilest, most wicked sinner can do that the publicans the most despised kind of person in all of Israel will go to that length hmm. Matthew Henry says in this especially we must do more than others that while everyone will render good for good we must render good for evil we cannot expect the reward of christians if we rise no higher than the virtue of publicans See, we are called to go above and beyond we are also empowered to go above and beyond now look at verse 48 this is love completed says, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. We could also say that this can be translated, you shall therefore be perfect, or ye are therefore to be, as, as you know, kingdom people, disciples of, of, of Jesus. And perfect can mean complete, it can mean whole, it has a nuance of being merciful, 
but here it means that, that, that it means the fulfillment of what started in verse 21 all the way through verse 47. Turn back to verse 21. Ye have heard that it hath been said of old time, thou shalt not kill, whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. All right, that's where we started with the right relationships. All right, hatred is murder. All right, so, so, so when we're talking about a thing being complete, it starts in verse 21. Now, originally that word com complete or perfect, it was applied to like a machine that had all its parts. If it's applied to people, it refers to, to completeness, no defects. In Job chapter 1 and verse 1, Job is said to be perfect. Now, it doesn't mean that, that he's holy or sinless like God, but that his devotion to God was appropriate. He had a completeness, uh, a, 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 a consistency. He exhibited his faith as, as a prince, as a father, as an individual, as a benefactor to the poor. He was not merely spiritual in one place in his life, but he was uniformly spiritual. He was consistent everywhere. Loving our enemies completes the requirement for kingdom living. Until we love our enemies this way, we are incomplete. We are imperfect. Until we love our enemies the way God says love our enemies, until we have sought to reconcile every broken relationship, we are unsubmitted to our king. See, we are royal children. And, and, and these are our royal manners. Now, let's see if we can wrap this up. Sinclair Ferguson says this. Jesus is teaching that we should be grown up or complete in our generosity. The Heavenly Father, who has displayed his perfection in the love he has shown to his enemies, is our standard. Robert Murray McShane wrote, by way of prayer, Make me so holy as a saved sinner can be. Just as in this prayer, we are to model the Heavenly Father so that people will see the resemblance, especially in the way we love our enemies. Now, in all these examples, a superficial observance of the letter of the law is not going to cut it. It's not going to be enough. Legalism has been left behind. The law of love is what has been fulfilled in our Savior, and it is to be fulfilled in us. This is not something that we can play at. This is, this is deep. This is far-reaching. This is into the recesses of our soul work of God. The Pharisees were superficial in their righteousness, and it was not enough to get them into the kingdom of God. So we must invite the Lord in to do that deep, transforming work of making us consistent with the character of Christ. Because that's what this is. This is a picture of Christ. We are to emulate this. Because this is what it means 
to enter the kingdom of God. This is what it means to be a child of God. This is what it means to carry the name of Jesus Christ as your Savior. It is to be like him. And he's serious about us being like him. And if we cannot love our enemies, how can we do anything for Christ? The answer you're looking for is we can't. We must love as Jesus loved. And we are empowered to love as Jesus loved. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to thank you again for this time in your word. And, and Lord, this is one of the hardest things that, that, that we see um, besides maybe denying our own flesh. Uh, it, it is loving people that want to hurt us. Father, we understand that, that Jesus' audience, the, this would have this would have turned them on their ear. Father, maybe it does the same thing to us. I mean, how can we possibly love somebody that wants to destroy us, that wants to hurt us, that wants to see us fail? Father, we have trusted Jesus as our Savior. You have given us the indwelling Spirit, your Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. Lord, you have... You have empowered us to live in such a way that, 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 that it honors you and it's obedient to you regardless of what anybody else does to us. So, Father, we're, we're not praying this morning that you send us enemies so that we can love them. But, Father, we are praying that if anybody becomes our enemy, that we can be like you in our love to them, submitted to you, using the manners as royal children, loving our enemies as you loved us when we were your enemies. And perhaps, possibly then, Lord, you would give us the open door to continue to love on them to present Jesus to them that they would then no longer be your enemy but they would be our brother or sister because they have come to faith in Christ and that you have used us to be salt and light and you have used your love through us to them to bring them to faith and Lord it is to that end we pray in Jesus name Amen Mike, would you come ahead, please?